Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see each of you. Welcome to those watching, worshiping online. As Pastor Vicente mentioned, uh, we got people on staff that are from Puerto Rico, uh, Andre and Catherine Delgado that are down there uh, that we support monthly, and Convoy of Hope already on the scene and helping. So thanks for your, just your regular generosity and faithfulness, and we're able to send funds down. And uh, as he mentioned, if you'd like to do additionally so, you can market Kingdom Builders, Puerto Rico, Hurricane, Rain, Whatever you want to mark on it, we'll get it down there. And so thanks so much for being uh, those who are helping. I'm so grateful for what God is doing in our church right now. We've been hearing so many um, testimonies of what he's been doing. And uh, I've sensed in each of our gatherings just an increased anticipation of supernatural activity. And we've seen that in our language services, Francophone and Espanol, our age graded services, elementary, younger, middle school. It's just been incredible. And uh, I, I've personally really been enjoying this series on the church. This is only week three, but it feels like I've been preaching from the book of Acts for a while. It's that first century church that I think has implication for us. Um, two weeks ago, we had the first one. How many people remember the Mentos and the Coke? We were talking about, right, the power of Pentecost, that there's power for today. This isn't just what God did back then, but we want to remove the lid in our lives. We receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in us. And and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really about the Holy Spirit getting out of us to help those all around us. And we want to be people that doesn't keep what he's doing in our lives to ourselves, amen, but we want to share it with others. And so we had the, the Mentos and, and Diet Coke, or no sugar, because that's what we're trying to do right now. And... Um, Anyway, then last week, I uh, talked about proclaiming the gospel. We had that megaphone. Remember, uh, in this service, was talking to Dexter in the back. It was like, some people uh, are at times we need to be louder so that we can be heard. But also, sometimes we're too loud that we can't be heard at all. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to make us bold witnesses for Jesus. And uh, today, we're talking about uncommon community. And uh, I think it's going to speak to you as well. We'll have an illustration later in the day. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. This is our third week in Acts chapter 2. We're concluding uh, Acts chapter 2 next week. That means I will be in Acts chapter 3. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're just, and then the week after, it'll be, yeah, okay, that's, I don't want to give you the week after that, but it'll be, yeah, that's how it's going to work, all right? So it's going to be great. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, if you're able, would you stand to your feet this morning for the reading of God's Word? We're talking about uncommon community. But what we read in this text, we believe God wants to still do in us. And so we want to be believers who say, yes, we want to be part of that kind of uncommon community. The Bible reads like this, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. I am going to preach a little bit quicker today, uh, try to end around football time. Each of the first two weeks, I was able to end before the Vikings game started. Fingers crossed today. No, I really am going to try. (laughs) 
There's no trying, there's only doing. Anyway, verse 42, the Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to food trucks and football. No, that wasn't, that wasn't in the text, but he said, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love this. It's the result of uncommon community is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Come on, we're going to pray that God would help us be that type of uncommon community. Amen? You know, we're also going to pray. I'm not always up on all the current events, but in the first service, we were able to pray as well, uh, not only for the Keller family, but all those who were impacted um, at the shooting there that happened at Richfield High School. Jeffrey Keller uh, is a senior. He was playing on the football field in that game. And uh, so we're praying for those that were uh, injured uh, physically, those mentally, emotionally, the fallout from that. You know, we've kind of been praying a lot through my wife's involvement, but praying a lot about uh, a move of God on our school campuses. And then we see uh, this violence continued and, and growing. And so we just want to pray for them as well today as we go before the Lord in prayer. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've been given to gather together and lift high the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Give us ears to hear what you're saying today. Help us all become part of that uncommon community. We pray for those in Puerto Rico that are still uh, suffering uh, as a devastation from this hurricane. We're thankful for Convoy of Hope and the Delgados that are on site ministering, giving hope and help to those in need. We also ask that you be with those who were uh, injured, those who are going to continue to suffer uh, from this trauma on Friday night, the shooting here locally in our backyard. And so we just pray, God, uh, we recognize that we cannot legislate away hate, so we need a move of your Holy Spirit in our land, in our lives. Do what only you can do. Change hearts and lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to jump right in for the sake of time. And uh, you see it on your notes there, four points. And uh, they're all from Scripture number one. Uncommon community always adheres to Scripture. Now, common community these days doesn't really adhere to anything. Uh, there is no more capital T truth. There is no absolute truth. Or, or It's always a shifting morality. What do I think? What do I feel? What is my friend? But this is what we see. If we are going to be part of uncommon community, when we look at this group of first century believers, they adhered to Scripture. The Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves. Side note, uh, I've got a few side notes because I can't preach them all this morning. Um, you need to decide for yourself who or what you're going to be devoted to. 
Because if you don't decide for yourself, there's a lot of other opinions, ideas, commercials out there encouraging you to be devoted to their cause, be devoted to their product, be devoted, right? Commercials during the game are all going to be about, oh, you should buy this. You need that. And so you've got to decide for yourself. I can't make you be devoted to something. These people devoted themselves. You and I have got to be devoted. And by the way, being devoted goes beyond our convenience, Right? Devotion is never or rarely convenient, but it always involves our priority. So I would ask, what's important to you? Now, we know what's important to you by really how you spend your time and or your money. Right? We, we know that's what's important because it's what we give our time and our money to. Those things show what the building blocks of our lives are. Here we read about men and women, believers, it was uncommon back then, and I believe it's uncommon today, who were devoted to Scripture. The apostles' teachings were building upon the Old Testament, those first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and and then the prophets. You got Psalms, Proverbs, you got the, the wisdom literature, you've got the Old Testament, and then they were teaching about the life and ministry of Jesus. Well, for us these days, that's the Bible. That's the scripture. And, and, you know, it seems like fewer and fewer people today adhere to scripture. Right? right? Because scripture um, is not subject to our feelings or our convenience or our preferences. Scripture is what it is. What it is is what it is, is uh, the inspired word of God, Right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way, all scripture, not just the parts that we like, not just the verses on blessing and increase, but all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Now, I I don't want to stop reading. The the rest of the verse is there. There's two key words in righteousness. In other words, if you're teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training from the word of God is not resulting in righteousness, I humbly submit to you, you need to read the word again. A lot of people like to use the Bible or select verses from the Bible to uh, bully other people, to put them down, to just correct, to just rebuke, to just teach like they're better, but it's not resulting in righteousness. And we can't just look for words or parts of verses or single verses that will back up our preconceived idea or position to bully somebody else, it's got to result in righteousness. Here's a problem. Many Christians say they have a high view of Scripture, but very few have a high-level obedience to the Scripture. Right? They have a high view of Scripture, but low application or practice of Scripture. They verbalize a devotion to Scripture, but their actions don't follow. The word in here means to believe in and follow the practices of. It's not enough to believe in the Scripture. We must also follow the practices of Scripture. 
I don't really have time this morning to explain it fully, but let me just mention briefly in passing, there's a lot of hit and run messages this morning. There, there is a difference, my opinion, between being saved and being a Christian. Being saved, you could be like forgiven in a moment. Sure, you might escape hell and get into heaven, but you're not becoming like Christ on a daily basis. You can be saved and maybe not be a Christian. I have to explain those a little bit more, but does that kind of make sense in a hit and run deal that there's a problem between people who say they believe the Bible, but then their actions don't back it up. To adhere to is more about practicing something rather than just claiming something. The percentage of biblical worldview in our nation continues to decline, but I'm probably more concerned about those people who claim to be Christians but don't adhere to the commands of Scripture. Now, maybe a few of them just don't really know what the Bible means because, again, there is a declining biblical literacy in our land. But I think more often it is a deliberate and sinful choice to depart from what God has said to what they feel like or wish it had said. So we need to go back to studying the scripture so that we can adhere to the scripture. You know, uh, many, many, maybe some of you uh, have practiced this already, but there's a Bible study tool called SOAP, S-O-A-P. You, you may want to begin your day this way. A lot of our students will, will do this, and um, I've practiced it as well in my life. SOAP, S-O-A-P stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. kind of gives you a good order to go through. You begin with the Scripture by reading the Word. What does God have to say? Unfortunately, a lot of people begin with prayer, like this is what God, I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. And when you get things out of order, now all of a sudden you may hunt for a scripture to back up your preference. Did you know that there's fights across our nation with people using the same Bible to back up different opinions? Right? Because whenever we get things out of order, we will be prone to twist and turn things to say what we want them to say or what our viewpoint wants it to say. But we must begin with the word, not look for the word when we've already decided what we're going to say. So we begin by reading the scripture, scripture. Then we make observations, not about our own lives, but about what happened in the text. (laughs) We've got to read the whole text, not just one little part. We got to know what happened, right? We just saw that. If we only read part of 2 Timothy 3.16, we're like, oh yeah, the Bible's for rebuking other people. No, the whole of scripture says the Bible is for rebuking into righteousness, not just yelling at people not just correcting them, it's got to result in righteousness. So, so we begin with reading the word scripture, then we make observations. What happened in the word? What happened in the story? What were the people going through in the Bible? Then after we've read the Bible and we've observed what happened in the Bible, then we can make application in our own lives. Remember, the Bible wasn't written to us but it was written for us. So we need to begin with who was it written to? What were they going to? This is what the Bible was actually saying. Then we can say, what's it saying to me? But, but it is this Western Christianity that has such a tendency to elevate a me-centric view 
of the scripture, of Christianity, when in reality, people for 2,000 years ended with me and didn't begin with me. Scripture, observation, application. Then we for sure ought to pray. We ought to pray, God, make this come alive. And pray these scriptures, pray these uh, promises in our lives and in our family's lives for our friends and yes, in our community. So scripture, application, uh, observation, application, and prayer. These believers were committed beyond their convenience. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer. And I love this, one of the results of their commitment beyond convenience, we see there in verse 43, that everyone was filled with awe at the signs and wonders being performed. I don't ever want to lose the awe and wonder of what God is doing. I don't ever want to take it for granted. I don't ever want it to become ho-hum when somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't ever want it to just become religious routine when we gather together and we pray and we expect to see God do the supernatural, the miraculous, when lives are changed and people are restored. I never want to lose the awe and the wonder. And I believe awe and wonder always follows a commitment that goes beyond convenience. Because when we limit Christianity to our convenience, we can't help but have a me-centric view. But if we'll be committed beyond our convenience, I believe we'll celebrate what God is doing rather than criticize what he is not doing. That's one of my goals. I want to celebrate what he is doing way more than I criticize or complain what he is not doing. So let's not take it for granted. This next week, I said, will be Acts chapter three. I'm going to be preaching on miracles. We're going to be praying for signs and wonders. I'm going to spend uh, three days this week and fasting and prayer for our services next week. And uh, I would just encourage you, would you join me at least a meal or, or a day or something this week? Let's come expecting to see God do. We're not coming entitled to a healing, but we are coming expecting because where the presence of the Lord is, anything is possible. Amen. So this commitment, Pastor Vicente saw this and I hadn't seen it before and I'm the pastor, but he noticed it that when you come in the lobby, we've got these four commitments up, up, up there, experiencing the presence of God, reaching the lost, helping the hurting, strengthening the family. Every activity or, or ministry or thing that we're going to do, we want to figure out where does that align. And he saw that these, those four are found right here in these four points in this passage of the first century church there in the book of Acts. And so the commitment that we have that we see here in the scripture that aligns with it is experiencing the presence of God. So each of these points will have one of those commitments that I didn't even see until he pointed it out, right? We experience the presence of God. When we gather together, it says they gathered together and they were filled with awe and wonder. We're not just getting together for um, an intellectual discourse, we're not just coming for an exchange of information. We could have Googled this and, and, and saved the gas. You know, we, we could have done something. We're not just coming to observe. We're coming to participate. We're coming to experience the presence of God. It's more than just a book that we read. It's an experience with the Almighty, the one who is, was, and is, and is to come. We gather to experience the presence of God. Can I get a good amen? 
This experience is for each and every person, male and female, young and old, rich and poor. We gather together to experience the presence of God. Number two, this uncommon community sacrifices to meet needs. We live in a time where convenience seems to win the day, and yet we see this uncommon community, and I believe we are called to be part of this uncommon community as well that sacrifices to meet needs. The celebration, come on somebody, I received that today. If you don't cry out, the rocks and the kids will. Praise the Lord, you know. This uh, commitment, I, I have to keep moving a little bit faster because uh, I'm not gonna finish in time, but is helping the hurting, right? We mentioned that out there. So sacrifices to meet needs, it aligns perfectly with our commitment to helping the hurting. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let me just mention um, to bring clarity because there appears to be uh, I don't know if it's always been this way, but it does seem like now some misconceptions or some misunderstandings with this text. Um, when we read these couple of verses, we are not reading about a group of believers that became poor and destitute and moved into a communal living situation. So I, I hear that some of this stuff like, oh, well, if you really believe your Bible, you should sell everything. And okay, couple things. Number one, if God does ask you to sell everything, then you should obey and sell everything. But I've met less than like a handful, less than five people in my lifetime of following Jesus that felt like God asked them to sell everything. If that's you, you ought to do it and obey and God will uh, reward you for your obedience. In other words, he'll take care of you if he asks you to do it. But before you do that, I would just like probably pray one more time, like make sure, you know what I'm saying? But I'll just, especially if that's Dana, you know what I'm saying? Like, we better pray again, you know? But, but I don't really see that in scripture because I don't want to preach point three too early. But if we look at verse 46, it would seem strange that they sold everything, became poor and destitute and lived communally. When at verse 46, this is again, an importance of reading more than just one verse says that they broke bread in their homes. So if everybody was supposed to be poor and homeless in this passage, how could they, the next verse, meet together in their homes and break bread? So all I'm saying is this understanding of a first century church is not saying by next Sunday, everybody come back homeless. More than four people should have said amen right there. You know, somebody like, but I'm still renting an apartment. So no, come on, that's fine. Like, I'm just saying they did what God asked them to do, but the truth is when we read verse 46, apparently they didn't sell everything. They sold some extra things. Now, here's another thing to remember. Um, this is saying, okay, well, they sold everything. Let me, let me explain to you probably why there was an increase in this moment of selling extra things than really, when I look in history, I don't really see another time that fully compares to this. A lot of these believers had known Jesus through his lifetime. They, they, they may have gone to junior high school with him. You know, they may have been in carpentry class together. I don't know. But, 
but, but they grew up with Jesus. They knew Jesus for those three and a half years of public ministry. They watched him be crucified. They knew he was buried and he was resurrected. And a number of these believers actually met Jesus after he was resurrected. And more than a few watched him ascend into the sky when he was taken back to the Father. And Jesus said, I'll be right back. I'm going to my dad's place to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back, and then we'll all be together. Now, how many people know if you watch Jesus live, do miracles, be crucified, then resurrected, and say, I'm going to go to my dad's place to build you a place, you're like, what do I need this place for? <laughs> and if he's coming back soon, it might, what if he's coming back next week? Who cares about paying the mortgage? We're not going to be here. <laughs> So to these people who actually had met Jesus and lived with him and knew that he was coming back soon, to them, they defined soon probably a little bit quicker than you and I who've been waiting for 2,000 years. Now, by the way, those of you that are bad at math and are unsure about the end times, I'm convinced that his return is closer today than it's ever been. Some of you don't get that, right? But mathematically, it's impossible not to be. It's still, anyway, okay, you'll get that later. Somebody help your neighbor at food trucks and football, right? But, but so they were, in other words, their deeply held beliefs impacted their daily lives. So while we are ready or hopefully ready for him to return at any moment, it would be wise for us to plan as though it's going to be a bunch more moments still to come. Therefore, the question is not, are we all going to show up homeless next week? But are we all going to allow our deeply held beliefs to impact our daily lives? I think most of us We'll probably make it through this week without the conviction of the Holy Spirit to sell our home to give to someone in need. However, I'm praying that none of us escape his conviction this week to do something extra for someone in need. It could be somebody in Puerto Rico. It could be somebody in your neighborhood. It could be somebody on the street corner. But all of us, most likely, because of our proximity here, our life in America, and even the south metro of the Twin Cities, will have opportunity to do something. So will we allow our deeply held beliefs to impact our daily lives today? You know, it's very common when people return from a global trip, a missions trip, and they're confronted with the daily reality of how little people uh, survive on around the world and they go to these places. And and it's very common to return home and feel guilty for the possessions that we have and the lifestyle that we've become accustomed to. And many times we have to talk with people in advance and say, you're gonna feel like maybe I should get rid of everything. And, and, and it, I just don't know if that's really the appropriate response to an emotional uh, conviction that we feel. We ought to do something, but, but I'm not sure that we ought to do everything. The truth is, if you give away everything today and you have nothing tomorrow, how much can you give tomorrow? Nothing. Some of you are not good at math. If you have nothing, <laughs> then you can't get right. So, so it, it would not seem biblical to give everything away to someone in another country and your kids have nothing today. 
right? So, so we do have to think through this, and we need more than an emotional response. But I do pray that we have enough proximity or togetherness with some people in our neighborhood, some people in our community, some people around the world that we're not fully comfortable doing nothing. The other day I was on an airplane and I watched a movie, uh, Jurassic World um, something. The new one, whatever it is. What is it? Dominion. Dominion. I should have known that. Anyway, but this one girl, I, don't, I wrote it down on my phone because even when I'm on an airplane and I watch Jurassic, I'm like, that's a sermon. <laughs> you know? She said, it isn't enough to do nothing. And I thought, isn't that true for us? I don't think this passage is telling us we have to do everything. In fact, I'm quite confident of it, but I do know it isn't enough to do nothing. Let's continue to be people who sacrifice to meet the needs of others. Amen? All right, number three, uncommon community pursues deeper relationships. The celebration commitment here is strengthening the family. It says every day they continue to meet together in the court, temple courts and they broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I would just say that this was more than a Sunday church thing for these believers. It was a lifestyle thing for these believers. They continued to meet at church, but also they gathered in homes. We're in a time right now where it seems like uh, Christians or people with opinions Uh, about Christians are saying you're either about church or about community. And I would just say when we read the scripture, there was no distinction. Yes, they gathered together at church. They they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and prayer. They, They were there for the big times, but they were also there for the little times. They knew what they needed in the big group time and they knew what they needed in the smaller group setting. Why? Because it's possible to be in a big crowded room like this and still feel all alone, right? In our nation, with, with social media, and we've settled for being Facebook friends, but we often lack authentic relationships. We've settled for knowing more about people while actually knowing them less. We know what vacations they go on. We know what car they drive. We know the remodel they did at their house. We know that their kid made the honor roll or if their kid didn't make the honor roll because they didn't post, you know, like we know post by omission. <laughs> we know a lot about people, but I wonder how much do we actually know people? We know the surface. We know the facade. We know the carefully curated content that we post for other people, but do we actually know or be known at the heart level, the longings of our soul? Pastor Josiah shared an article with me um, that was taken from another article about another study, but Monica Torres wrote this one. And then later there was a study um, in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. Um, They did a recent study about how long it takes adults to make new friends, how, how long it takes to pursue deeper relationships. And I believe there's some application for us in the church as well. Um, The study said that the average adult needs to spend 50 hours of time with a person to consider them a casual friend, 90 hours before you become real friends, and 200 hours to become close friends. 
But they said in order to make lasting adult friendships, it's important to remove the friendship from the workplace and spend time together outside the office. They said when you're a kid, gaining a best friend forever, a BFF, <laughs> can happen at a single recess on the playground. <laughs> but when you grow up to be an adult, Making and maintaining friendships gets harder. All of a sudden, you have to compete with young babies, significant others, and fully booked work schedules to try and find quality time with a friend. Jeffrey Hall, a communications professor at the University of Kansas, conducted this study recruiting adults who were in desperate need of friends with two experiments. Notice the two groups of people that he said lacked friends the most. The first group was those who had moved to a new city in the past six months and college freshmen. The two biggest life change stages that we go through, moving to a new place and leaving our parents' house and living on our own. They asked them to rate the degree of closeness and time spent together with that new person. That's where that 50 hours 90 hours and 200 hours, casual friend, whatever the middle one was, and then close friend. I can't remember. There's a lot of things on here. <laughs> trying to summarize this whole thing for you. Said, you don't have to be chatty to gain a new friend. Boy, that's good for the Norwegians. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be chatty to gain a friend, but you do need to invest in quality time. The study found that the portion of time spent talking together had a greater impact on the friendship closeness rather than the time simply spent together at school or at work. In other words, just spending time in proximity together is not enough to become friends with someone. Otherwise, we'd all be best buddies with our coworkers who see us more often than our families. On one hand, it's really easy to spend a lot of time with people as they are routinely in the same place at the same time as you with coworkers. But his study shows that uh, coworkers that you spend hundreds and hundreds of hours with, you still don't develop a friendship with. For those who are hoping to make the leap from a girl who I eat lunch with to a friend I can count on in a crisis, he suggests that you take the relationship out of the workplace for it to become a friendship. He says, the participants who did activities outside of work with someone, I would say the participants who did activities outside of their normal routine with someone, such as being invited into their home, were more likely to develop deeper relationships with them. This is what he said. If those relationships simply stay at work or in their routine, they are unlikely to become friends. But to make those relationships into friendships, you have to move the relationship outside of the institutional system. Okay, what are you saying, Pastor Derek? What I'm saying is here you find yourself in close proximity with hundreds of people. And yet you might not be close with anyone. One of the reasons that they said, if you'll move it outside the institutional system, how would I describe that? If you'll move it beyond the big room on Sunday morning. 
That that could be a community group. That could be a serve team. That could just be a dinner, a friendship, a coffee, whatever. If you'll move beyond just sitting in a row and observing something else and participating in life together with someone else. Last week at our Connect lunch, there was over 70 people there. We're sitting at, at tables because there's something about sitting with six people. And saying, what's your life like? What would your week been through? How are your kids? Do you, you know, a conversation instead of just a public presentation. Coincidentally enough, Pastor Josiah has a table in the lobby just for you. We're launching a new round of community groups next week. It's October 2nd, and here we are already. Pastor David's always setting people up with the new serve team. Whoever you are, whatever you do, I would just say this. Get connected with others so you can pursue deeper relationships. As I mentioned, you may be here in a crowded room and still feel all alone. We all need a smaller circle of people that we can know and we can be known by. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Derek, I don't need a group. I'm fine on my own. (laughs) I don't need a serve team. I've been there, done that. Now it's somebody else's turn. But what if I told you being part of a group with other people is not really about you anyway? Like it might be, but I'm just saying, you might be fine on your own, but there might be somebody else that needs you to be there for them. In fact, I would say, I guarantee, if you're okay, then there are people who need you to be okay around them. Because people are going through stuff in this life. People are experiencing not enough. They're falling short. They're wondering what is going to happen. And if you feel strong on your own, they need you to be strong by them. Today's illustration Uh, Jason's going to bring it out and help me with it today. We've got some nails and a balloon. It's kind of like another science experiment. Here we go. feel like I'm on reading rainbow these days. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Thank you, Jason. Come on, let's give it up for Jason here today, Sturgeon. Thank you, sir. And uh, so this is a bed of nails. I'm not going to walk on it. I'm not a magician. It's not a magic trick. It's real. These these, uh, nails are sharp. You can feel them. And, and what happens, and we've seen this over the last two and a half years, right? We've seen that when people are alone, the pressure, the stress, the challenges of this life can be overwhelming, right? These are not fake nails, real balloons. This one's got less air. Let's do this one first. When you're by yourself in the events of the world, it's not gonna be that loud. It's gonna be okay, you know, but it, it, it's a struggle, right? We know that. I know everybody's enjoying that. Why does he pick on people? I'll get to that in a second because you're all alone. No, I'm just kidding, right? So, and I would just say when people feel all alone, that's when they need other people to come alongside, especially in difficult times. I think tough times are the times we need each other the most. It's one of the biggest lies that we've battled as a human race over these last couple of years is that look out for yourself, be on your own, don't get around anybody else. And the truth is that's the worst thing that we could do. Because when we're alone and the stress and the pressure and the challenges of this world, that's when the balloons pop. Some of us have felt like our balloons have popped over the last couple of years. Some of us know people. Like literally speaking, there are people who called it quits. I believe most of them just didn't have quite enough people around them. It's not to guilt or shame you in that. I'm just saying there's something powerful that happens when we're together with other people. 
So much so that then it doesn't pop, right? Like, it's not, I'm not like faking it. It's like, I'm actually, can you hear that? Like, same sharp nails. I'll pop this one later. It's not like a trick balloon. <laughs> it's real, okay? So you're like, it's a fake balloon. It's not a fake balloon, people. I showed you the Mentos. It was like, woo! Now you're like, it's a fake balloon. It's not a fake balloon. <laughs> it's just not people on their own. It's the same struggle, it's the same problem, it's the same community, but when you have people all around you, you might be fine on your own, but there are people who the world, this life, the problems are wearing them down. And if we'll be people who are committed to uncommon community, we'll pursue deeper relationships. The struggles, they're still gonna happen, we're gonna feel the pressure, but we won't have to see people lose it when we're not alone. And just to prove it, see, it's still real. Amen. Okay, there you go. So there you go. Thank you. Appreciate that. Amen. All right. I got to finish preaching because we got just a little bit more and I saw the food trucks and I got 12 minutes. Okay, here we go. Number four, <laughs> have the team come out and play something and I'll end. I got to read another page, but it's okay. Continuously grows. This is a truth of uncommon community. It continuously grows. The Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily I love the last part, those who were being saved. We're not just interested in getting bigger. We're not just interested in saying our social club is bigger than your social club. We, we are interested in seeing the kingdom of God expanded. The way we say it is reaching the lost. That's the fourth commitment that you see out there in the lobby and it's here at Celebration. The commitment is reaching the lost. I'm thankful for the heritage of our church has, uh, for reaching the lost. It was started by an evangelist who traveled the Midwest, tent crusades, towns and all that with a commitment. I would say if people aren't getting saved, we've got to wonder if we're any different than the local country club or social gathering. You could go anywhere and play bingo. It's not, Pastor Josiah said it's a raffle. It's not a raffle, it's a door prize. You just get a ticket, it's free, okay? We're not like selling the tickets. You can't even buy them. It's just, you get a ticket. Someone's like, they raffle? We didn't raffle, it was a giveaway. Okay, it's fine, but... You could play bingo anywhere. But it's in the church, the big seat church of Jesus Christ that we see people's lives changed forever. But I remind you, that's way more than a Sunday thing. It didn't say the Lord added to their number weekly. When the apostles preached a good sermon and had an illustration, no, no, no. This is that each and every person was so captivated by the goodness of God, was so impacted by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that daily they were telling their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers what God had done. And every day people were getting saved. People were added daily. Now, some people are like, you know what? Uh, I don't really want our church to grow. We've been seeing so many new people and friends and family and somebody like, I don't, I liked it better when our church was smaller. But here's, here's a truth, a reality. Uh, studies will show that you'll probably only really know about 70 people anyway. So even if we double in size, you're still only gonna know 70 people. You'll just have a few more people to kick out of your 70 and bring into your 70, you know what I mean? <laughs> It doesn't really matter what, what size. We got a bunch of services, big, small. Like you, you're gonna know about the same amount of people. So, because there are some people who act like, oh, well, as the church grows, I can't know everyone. As if not knowing everyone means you can't know 
anyone. Uncommon community is completely against a mentality that says us for and no more. Uncommon community says we'll make room. We'll put a leaf in the dining room table. We'll pull up another chair. (laughs) That's uncommon community. And it's not just about me and my family, but it's about whoever I come in contact with. The truth is, most people don't really want their church to grow. Now, they won't say that. (laughs) Right? Oh, we want it to grow. And then the line gets longer at the bathroom, and they're like, "Eh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Right? Like, oh, it takes a while to pick up my kid at checkout. Actually, nobody complains about that. They, they keep them as long as you want. It takes a long time to drop my kid off, right? <laughs> or the parking lot, I, I used to park in the front and then, you know. The truth is, this church can be as small as you want it to be. If you don't like a crowd, sit on the front row. You'll be all by yourself. <laughs> just stare at me. It'll be me and you. It's just two of us. Don't even pay attention to them here. You know, it's, it's wide open. The second row too, by the way. Thanks for being in the third row. Appreciate that, you know. <laughs> but uncommon community continuously grows. You see at the bottom of your notes there, we're committed to belonging and becoming. Why? Because we're people who join our hearts with God and we echo the cry of the Father that said it's His will that none should perish. That we're people who don't want to see our coworker perish. We're a people who don't want to see our neighbor perish. We're a people who don't want to see our sons and daughters perish. We're a people who don't want to see people around the world perish. That we join in with the Father and we say, God, we don't want anyone to die without knowing Jesus. And that puts us in uncommon community. So let's continue to be people who are committed to continuously growing to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to share a testimony with you that I received this week. It was such an encouragement to me. And, you know, as we see God do things, even next week, we're going to pray for those healings, supernatural miracles, and God to do what only he can do. And we're looking forward to that. But I share one with you this week about community that grows and the impact that it has when we pray with one another. We're committed to one another. And This gal emailed in. I'm going to remove the names for privacy's sake because I didn't have time to get permission to share it, but it's a real email. You can see it. Block out her name. She said, first, I just want to say thank you. I was invited to celebration by a friend, and she gave me her name. said, I've known her since we were kids. A few years ago, she invited me, and I'm so glad she did. By the way, um, I don't often like try to share a story where uh, I get a compliment or something like that, but I just want to mention that the friend that invited her was a neighbor that we had invited a year before that. So I I say that not to say like how cool your pastor invited somebody, but to let you know we're in it with you, right? Like we all have neighbors that that need to be invited. We had a neighbor that moved new to the neighborhood. So we're like, oh, they they might need a church. We're just going to invite them to Easter. We gave them apple pie. They, They didn't come. I was like, but we bought those from Costco. They're good. <laughs> then later that fall, 2018, it was that Jonah series, and we had some yard signs. If you were in the church back then, you might have seen those. And 
And seeing that yard sign, they came. And then the next year, they invited somebody. So I just want you to know we're in it together. First service, uh, my wife had a friend come that she's been uh, talking with a lot in some school meetings that she's been in. So we're, we're all in this together. We're all Christians. <laughs> it's not a professional thing to invite your neighbor to work. I don't get to invite many of my um, coworkers. <laughs> some of you will get that later. They work here. <laughs> but we all got neighbors that we can invite. So she said, I'm so thankful for my friend who invited me. Um, I was just telling her that there's just something that happens there at celebration, especially anytime you do the prayer requests up front or baptisms, double doors, etc." She said, every single time I get this overwhelming feeling of love and peace that overtakes me. But for some reason, it also makes me wanna cry uncontrollably. She said, one of my first visits was in 2019 when I was pregnant with my second daughter and I had recently got worrisome news that she may need to be delivered early. So I went up front and Joe prayed with me and I immediately knew that whatever happened, my baby would be okay. She was later born February of 2020 on her scheduled C-section date and she didn't need to come early, praise God. So because of that, she says, I didn't come for a while during the pandemic, but I'm happy to have been here much more consistently lately. And I appreciate everything this church does for me and my family. I share that to say, you don't know what your neighbor, your friend, your coworker needs. And just a few months before she had encountered a difficult doctor's report, she'd come to a place filled with uncommon community. And I'm gonna pray that we would be those type of people who are always on the lookout for somebody in need. Sure, it might be somebody with financial need, but you know, uh, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would help us see needs that are a little bit harder to notice. It's easy to tell if somebody's hungry or dirty, but, But so many are walking around with needs that we can't see with our physical eyes. So we need to see them with our spiritual eyes. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to show us who's hurting, who's in need, who feels all alone. And that's gonna be my prayer today. I'm also gonna pray for a number of you that maybe you've been going through life, you feel discouraged, you feel all alone. And I'm gonna pray for you today. I'm not gonna ask you to respond or come forward, even lift your hand, but I'm gonna pray that you'd feel encouraged today, that you'd begin to take those steps to pursue deeper relationships, to experience uncommon community. Pastor David will come in a minute and he'll give us our closing instructions. But if you're able, uh, would you bow your head and close your eyes here this morning? And I'm gonna pray. Father, I'm praying right now for each and every man, woman, boy and girl, those in person, those watching online, those who find themselves in crowded rooms and yet still feel all alone. Many have been suffering in silence. They've been struggling on their own. And today I pray that you'd minister hope and healing to their hearts today. I pray that yes, even this week, that you'd bring people into their path, that they would be able to trust, that they would be able to reach out and to say, you know what, I just need somebody to talk to. I just need somebody to listen. I just need somebody to sit with me. And I pray this week, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring somebody their way so that they wouldn't feel all alone anymore. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, give us all spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear the cries of those all around us, the people who've been suffering in silence, they've been struggling on their own, those who are in need of uncommon community. 
that you'd help us to see and to reach out to them and to tell them what you've done in us, to share your goodness and your grace with them. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Do you receive that today? Amen. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.